South Africa certainly has taken, uh, has, uh, you know, has uh, caught the attention of the world after it successfully took Israel to the International Court of Justice. Certainly, uh, the, the case was heard, not thrown out at all as some might have hoped, but no doubt it did follow due process. And the purpose, of course, as you recall a few weeks back over the atrocities committed on the Palestinians, primarily in the Gaza Strip. Uh, the South African government said and, and, and claimed that Israel committed acts of genocide over its excessive bombing campaign, which saw thousands of Palestinians, majority women and children, killed in Gaza. The toll over 30,000 at this point in time. The ICJ instructed Israel to conduct, uh, or should I say, using, uh, using more apt terminology, uh, the US and UK aligned Israel to conduct its war in accordance with internationally accepted rules of the game. The court did not pronounce on South Africa's call for a ceasefire, although some in the legal fraternity, as we had interviewed over the last few days, say that the demands of the court actually do demand some form of a ceasefire. Nor was it asked to pass judgment on whether Israel is committing genocide. Many feel that that type of ruling is is a few years away. In its interim relief measures, um, of course, its interim relief measures cannot be enforced by the ICJ. A professor of international and diplomacy studies at the Tabo Mbeki African School of Public and International Affairs at UNISA, Professor Anthony van Nierkak, uh, in the conversation, questions whether the ruling will change anything, and I'm assuming this is by way of behavior of the state of Israel, and we welcome him online. Professor Anthony, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, and good morning to all of you. Uh, Professor, you know, many in South Africa, the government as well, hailing this year some sort of a victory. What's, what, what's your thoughts and opinions on that, Professor? Yeah, look, I, I, uh, uh, I uh, like most of us in South Africa and in the, uh, the global south, and those who uh, support the Palestinian cause um, rejoiced at the uh, at the court's ruling, and made us proud, you know, as uh, as South Africans, uh, particularly those who 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 actively propagated for many years uh, the cause of justice in the Middle East. Um, so it was a proud moment, and I think uh, our president has has re- rediscovered his moral voice. <laughs> mm. Uh, and in another article, I do say that, uh, you know, when presidents have trouble at home, they become foreign policy experts. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, regardless, regardless, South Africa in the BRICS context is playing an important role. So we're all proud. But, uh, you know, in the article, the essay that I wrote, a very short one, I'm saying let's move on and think about what is going to happen next. And can we be as confident uh, of further steps as we were in The Hague when the court made that solemn uh, declaration of uh, relief measures. And, and I'm skeptical. Uh, I don't see the international system giving us a good chance for pushing Israel uh, into accepting that it needs to sit down and negotiate uh, a settled outcome. In fact, uh, because you, you, you made the point earlier in your introduction, uh, the the U.S. and U.K. aligned is state of Israel. I say the the Netanyahu regime, if you want, is bent is hell bent on destroying Hamas, and uh, any Palestinian or any building that comes in the way of the strategic objective uh, will be taken out. Uh, in fact, uh, like some on the court 
some parts of the judgment, I, I do believe they are acts of genocide. Uh, and I do now believe that, uh, that some of the cabinet ministers want to depopulate the Gaza Strip. Uh, and have, have entered into negotiations with other nations about whether they could uh, receive the Palestinians. I mean, this is uh, completely absurd. And then the question arises, will the international system, will the UN system, and will international politics allow for this? And in my essay, I say, no, I don't think so. Um, um, great power politics and real politics trumps the noble ideals of the UN uh, and the kind of work that we want it to do to protect citizens uh, in the Middle East, but also elsewhere uh, from violent behavior of criminal states. And, um, and this is where we are at the moment, unfortunately. So the war will continue, in my view, mm. uh, and it'll deepen, it'll spread. It is spreading. Professor, I mean, of course, uh, in the last 70, 80 years, the tra- trajectory of the relationship between the Palestinians and the, uh, and the, and the state of Israel, of course, has differed. You, you saw 1948, that was a different, uh, situation altogether. 67 came a few years later, 73, and thereafter, you saw uh, an area wherein there was a period of positivity. Egypt and mm. Jordan signing treaties with the state of Israel. Then the Oslo Accords, as vague as it may have been, and appears to be now, it was some sort of curtain of hope for both communities that, that you know, they could be ever, you know, lasting peace in the area. I don't think that we've ever seen such darker or gloomier times when it comes to any resolution regarding the conflict. And I'm sure there'll be 20 or 30 different opinions on the way forward, depending upon <laughs> who you speak to and depending upon the cultural or the political affiliation, you know, of, of, of the guy who you are, you know, actually talking to but you know who holds the cards here i mean is it the state yeah. of israel is it the yeah. u.s is it the uk yeah. who holds yeah. the cards for peace in the middle east yeah to answer this and i, I think our time is short so um you should send the link of, to the essay to your to your listeners <laughs> mm. <laughs> to get the fuller picture but but uh, let me put it like this uh, i view the lens that i use to view uh, conflict in in ukraine or in the middle east or maybe in coming months in Taiwan, uh, um, that part of the world, and uh, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, you know, conflict zones in the world, through this lens that says the world is changing in front of our eyes. There are two power blocks that have now clearly emerged. It is on the side of the West, it's the Americans, the declining hegemon or the declining superpower, and its allies in Europe and elsewhere. And then the rising power in the East and the South uh, encapsulated in this idea of an enlarged BRICS alliance led by China. Now, whether America and its allies will bring peace to the Middle East or China and its allies will bring peace to the Middle East is an open question. Uh, I I don't think the Americans and the Europeans want to bring peace. They bring war to the Middle East to protect their interests. So let's look at BRICS. But let me give you a wild card uh, for us to ponder over uh, as I conclude this um, paragraph. Uh, What if in the American election later in this year, Trump wins and enters the White House? Um, And by the way, when I look at Biden on TV, I can't believe that he's the (laughs) candidate for the Democratic Mm. Party. If, (laughs) If Trump wins, what foreign policy posture will he adopt? He might as well say to uh, to Putin, 
let's settle Ukraine. And he might as well say to, uh, to Netanyahu, uh, I don't think I can make a deal with you. Uh, um, let's sue for peace in the Middle East. And he will do what, uh, what he promised to do a couple of years ago when he sent his family members to undertake these, was it Abraham Accords, uh, to bring some... So, so what Trump has is a big muscle. And he's going to say, I'm going to pull back, focus on America, make America great again. And that might be a trigger for some kind of beginning of a peace process. But I must say that I don't think he is sophisticated enough to lead you know, these delicate peace processes elsewhere in the world. I would put my, my, my hope in this enlarged BRICS alliance, which really deserves another conversation because it's a mm. big alliance now. It is powerful. Iran is there, Saudi Arabia is there, the UAE, but there are also contradictions in the BRICS bloc. So that deserves a further analysis. Professor Anthony, uh, finally, maybe we have a minute or so on our hand. Uh, Israel's current policy of uh, bombing and, and, and you know, its, its, its military operation, I mean, historically, there has been no country that has won simply at the end of the bullet the way Israel is going after the Palestinian population. Eventually, it, it does catch up with you, Professor Anthony. It does, and, and uh, this is... Uh, um not a nice analogy to make, but uh, I'm reminded when I when I understand the carpet bombing, the relentless, you know, uh, killing and maiming of of every Palestinian uh, in the Gaza Strip, and by the way, the flattening of the infrastructure, the deliberate targeting uh, of their cultural institutions, it reminds me of Cambodia and Vietnam, uh, where the Americans thought that they could fight communism uh, in Southeast Asia by destroying a country. Uh, the Americans had to had to give up in defeat. Vietnam is back as a powerful nation. They've recovered, and uh, and they have risen. And so I think this is the apt analogy for me: is that you can't uh, bomb an idea uh, and hope to destroy a, a nation, which is exactly what the court is cautioning uh, Israel about and the international community. Professor Anthony van Neerkerk, thank you so much for joining us on radio this uh, this morning. Have a good day ahead of you, Professor. Thank you. Same to you. Goodbye. Well, seven thirty ish. It is. Yeah, you know what? You cannot bomb. Wise words there. I mean, I think I think that's eternal words. You can't bomb an idea out of people. It never ever works. You you may use muscle and strength for a while, any form of diplomacy, but it's absolutely impossible to bomb an idea out of a nation, especially a nation that has got their trust in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. As weak as the Ummah may be, I think we can take resolve and we can take strength in the fact that there is still. A lot of khair and good in the ummah, which we have to be hopeful for. And there is still, comparatively, of course, it, it can never be compared to earlier generations. We are moving closer to Qiyamah. And as one moves closer to Qiyamah, the level of, of um, conviction, amal, whatever, will, will, will lessen. But as per the zamana and the time that a person lives in, compared to everyone else, that iman, alhamdulillah, and that strength and resolve is with the ummah and will remain to be, uh, re- remains with the ummah.